Hello and welcome. To Kayla, this is my German accent. To Kayla und Harrison's. Don't shut up. Oh, nein. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank wow, you. Wow, yeah, we're good at this. No, oh, I know. Hello, Kayla. Welcome to 2021. Oh my God, Harrison. It's so beautiful over here in this new year. No longer 2020, so I assume all of our problems uh, have been left behind. Mm -hmm. A whole new world. Um, how, how have you been since our, uh, our ramshackle... Ramshackle. What does that word mean? Since our long, arduous week of recording. Um, I never want to watch a Christmas movie again. It's a feeling I have. Yes. Um, well, I hate to break it to you, but we had to watch one for this episode. <laughs> Did we, Harrison? I believe that's up for debate. <laughs> well, um, it's a Christmas movie, but... Ish. <laughs> it's a Christmas movie in the way that everyone wants to argue about whether or not it's a Christmas movie. I think it's like a fun thing to consider a Christmas movie. It is a fun, like, I, it's like a funny, like, oh, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Oh, it's Die Hard, because I'm very cool. Oh, yeah. Everything just fell off my desk. Sorry about the loud noise. Um, I just sounded like the Kool-Aid man. Uh, oh, yeah. But I'm also very excited for Die Hard. I like this new view that I have of you now. Oh, yes. It's very um, fancy, so you're welcome. Yes. I'm surprised I'm not the one whose everything fell over, although I'm, at, I'm, at a, I'm not on a pile of boxes right now. Like oh well, that's am. why you got you got I'm it all figured table. out. I know. <laughs> you got it all figured out. You're good. I do. I do. I do. Okay, I think I'm back to normal. If you hear an another loud explosion, then that's just the dynamite um, for the special effects for this episode because we're then trying to keep everything cohesive it. with the movie that we're discussing. Yes. So exactly. no one gets confused. Uh huh. Um. The movie is 1988's Die Hard. Yes. Starring Sir Bruce Willis. He's not a sir. <laughs> I don't know. I was about to say, is he? Has he been knighted by? He should be for this knights? performance. Possibly. <laughs> what is your um? Before we get into the plot, what is your? Uh -huh. What's your experience with this movie? Do you have one? Okay, so I don't know that i ever saw this film for many years and then i am personally a big fan of the television show brooklyn 99 mm -hmm. i don't know if you knew that about me but i actually love because you buddy love cop. cops i love buddy cop comedies my favorite film of all time is a buddy cop film and it's called hot fuzz not ironic that's my favorite film of all time mm. it is and kayla uh, is a cop lover i'm a cop lover and i kayla I said think it, blue lives matter i heard her well here I, you know what? I guess so. <laughs> Here I am. No, I enjoy. I enjoy any one of the my favorite genres is like workplace stuff, and I don't understand office workers. I don't get their lives because I'm a public servant, like a cop is. So I think that's the connection. Anyway, the main character in Brooklyn Nine Nine, Jake Peralta, really loves this film, and I, he talked like it's is that Andy Samberg? Yes. And he, so he talks about it all the time. And I was, at some point, I must have been like, I've never fucking seen this film that he's obsessed with. And I like this character a lot, so maybe I would like Die Hard. But when I, I know I watched it, but I wasn't clear until I rewatched it for this episode. Because Michael kept saying, are you sure you've seen this movie? And I wasn't sure. 
So clearly the first time I watched it, it did not leave much of an impression on me. Mm. <laughs> um, that's my relationship to the film. I know that Jake Peralta likes it. That's all I got. Well. It's my relationship to it. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever seen this movie. Really? Ever. You were the one who suggested it. What made you want to suggest it? Well, it's funny. The reason I suggested it is because everyone has this year seemingly added it to their Christmas movie list. Okay. Because of the whole whether or not it counts as a Christmas movie joke, which also applies to Batman Returns. So, yes. Um, I'm not... I wouldn't say I've ever gone out of my way to watch a lot of action movies. I mean, I've seen a few, but they're just not really my bag. But mm -hmm. this was... Um, I'm really glad that we watched this movie. Um it was, yeah, I mean, action movies are fun. Like, that's the point of them, right? I like the Flast, the flast and Flurious movies, as it were. Yeah, you do. Um. <laughs> I do! <laughs> you uh, jerk! <laughs> uh, I think that growing up, maybe I watched... I'm, I'm not even certain I've seen... Like, what's the Tom Cruise one that there's like 17 of now? Oh, Mission Impossible. I, I have yeah, watched I have... at least one. Because Simon Pegg's in it. Simon Pegg's in Hot Fuzz. So I like well, in the watch newer it. one, though. Uh, yes. So I think I did watch one of the newer ones. I've never seen the original. Oh, okay. Mission Impossible. Yeah. Uh, not a I mean, fan. The uh, only movie I watched. Not the only movie. I remember Under Siege and Under Siege 2, which had Tommy Lee Jones. And when I was a kid, Tommy Lee Jones was my favorite actor. Oh, that's weird. Oh, because of Men in Black? Um, no, because he played Two-Face in Batman Forever. <laughs> oh, that makes a lot more sense than <laughs> But also because of The Fugitive and, I mean, I, I still really like Tommy Lee Jones. I think he's a really great actor. But, um, mm -hmm. and I may have stalked him when he was filming a movie here in town. By sitting in a park, it wasn't a scary stalk. It was what film was Stalking he? Light. He was um, it's a movie, a movie based on a president. Light. Oh, Lincoln? Was it Lincoln? It was Lincoln. Michael was in that. Oh, I know. <laughs> Michael is just one degree of separation away from me My meeting Tommy My famous husband, to be clear, is who I'm talking about here. Yes. Yeah. Flew in um, from Juno to wherever they would have shot Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Wherever. Um, the, I liked Under Siege. I remember it being fun. But I also was far too young to understand it when I saw it. You know what I mean? I think that yeah, I do. I'm like recently I've really enjoyed going back and watching movies that were like at the height of their popularity in the nineties that I was um not of sound mind to appreciate. <laughs> uh, I um Michael and I watched a documentary about all of the, the Nickelodeon television shows of our childhood last night. We watched oh. a movie called The Orange Years. Oh, I've heard of that. Was it good? Mm, I mean it was it was I wouldn't say it was good as a document. Like, if I was from somewhere or I was a teenager now, or if I was, uh, if I was a different age than I am, or if I was not an American, I would not enjoy this documentary. It's only indulgence. Mm. It's it's basically them just talking little stories about um, Doug and all that and Double Dare. So if you didn't grow up with those television shows i think you'd be like this is the most boring i see it's fan service documentary yeah which i enjoyed because i you know it's it's literally made for me i'm of that exact age where i grew up with those tv shows so it was like this is wonderful for me yes 
But I don't know that I would, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd call it a great documentary. Certainly enjoyable if you grew up watching Nickelodeon in the 90s. Which in I the, did. In the late 80s and early 90s, yeah. Yeah, I gotta watch it. Yeah. Um, so I recommend it to you, Harrison. Thank you. I, I was also gonna say that, um, I also watched a lot of movies that were satirizations of action movies growing up. Like what? Uh, like Hot Shots. Part You're deux. just naming a whole bunch of made-up movies. Under Siege, I just looked up, by the way, and I've never seen a more boring poster in my life. Ooh, don't like, tell me. I'm going to revisit it soon. Oh, what? <laughs> don't don't tell you what don't the poster Don't describe the poster under... to me. I don't okay, to, okay. I don't, I don't want okay, anything. Okay, I won't. I never will. But now I'm looking up Hot Shots. It's called The Mother of All movies why have i never even heard of this i feel like i feel like it's the equivalent of scary movie for horror movies but for action movies in the 90s right like it it looks like like a predecessor to something like um fuck starship troopers yeah or like i also think of tropic thunder (gasps) i do love that film that's yeah so i i think i my uh introduction into a lot of these things was based on like a satirization of it so i think that it's hard a little it's a little bit difficult for me to approach it with like an objective opinion gotcha but i'm glad we watched this i am i'm very glad that we watched this actually i mean i was about to say it's your fault we watched this so i hope you it is my fault i'm to blame why don't i ever pick the film is it because i loved wreck and you have the wrong opinion (laughs) about wreck Everyone chime in on comment on our post on Instagram and yes or no, is Rec flaming trash? Oh, wow. <laughs> that's that is not a valid survey established uh, question. We'll leave it up to the fan. Here's my Likert scale <laughs> the one on a fan. scale the scale from zero to ten, which is a normal Likert scale, unlike the dumb one we do. Um, was Rec either zero a masterpiece or ten an uber masterpiece? <laughs> there we go. So let us know in the comments, Yes, do both. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I, there's like how many of these? There's a lot of these. You know, I I did go, so I watched this with Michael this recent time, and I went on a bit of a, like, Die Hard Universe binge, where I didn't watch, there are five films in the Die Hard franchise. Okay. I did not watch any of the sequels, but I did read about them on the computer box, and, um... The second one has somewhat of a relevance to how I feel about this film, so that's going to come up later. Uh, and, oh, and I rewatched all the Brooklyn Nine-Nine episodes that are heavily about um, or influenced by Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> that's literally what I was doing. When you sent me the text that was like, hey, I'm ready to record. I, the reason I was like 10 minutes late is because I was rewatching one of the episodes. Mm. Oh, by the way, I my that's, friend is here. I, I like our research. Yes, no, I'm, I'm, I take this very seriously, so. Wait, did, did you say your friend is here? Yes, my friend's Hans Gruber. The, <laughs> or whatever The you... villain of the, yeah. the movie uh, we're hey, discussing. <laughs> if I may harpe- hearken back to uh, the night before, do you recall that Alana, Alana Glazer's character in that film idolized Hans Gruber? Do you remember that? No, I forgot. I knew the wow, name was, got... I knew the name was familiar. Um... A lot, of I mean, pop, a lot of pop culture references in The Night, the night before. before. 
So true, so true, so true. Um, I have been learning so much about Die Hard. This movie, okay. this there's a lot to unpack here. So I mean, there is. There's not it's, much. There's not a lot to unpack. Uh, unpack plot wise. I don't think it's pretty simple. Well, yes. Pretty classic well, endeavor. Yes. Um. Uh, it's. I. I mean, it's essentially. <laughs> it's essentially about a cop from New York, who, as you come to find out. Um, has a wife and kids in L.A. because the wife got a, what I can only assume is an incredibly well-paying job at a fancy corporation. Yeah, I think she's in like the Los second Angeles. in charge. She is the second in charge. Um, and, you know, and instead of moving, this is something I don't understand. I mean, obviously, other than this idea that, that John McClure is like, why would I move for my wife's job? She's a woman. Um, she's clearly the one bringing down the big bucks and he's a beat cop in new york but it's so important to him that he stays in new york while his wife and his kids go to los angeles and they're assumably separated at maybe not formally but at least emotionally and physically in terms of one being in new york and the other being in los angeles um and the premise of the film is that he returns to or returns he goes to los angeles for his wife's uh holiday party at her fancy corporation and it just so happens that that very night christmas eve night a group of german terrorists are taking over nakatomi plaza the headquarters of this fancy corporation and the only person who could do anything about it is mr cowboy john mclean yes that's the premise of the film um And they're not really terrorists, or are they? They're it pretending goes back and forth to be terrorists. Out. Yes. But they are terrorizing quite a lot of people. Yeah, that is confusing. For imitation say, terrorists. It goes back and forth with, with people calling them terrorists and them being like, we're not terrorists, and then we are terrorists, and XYZ. And I never really quite understood why they would have, other than they open their mouths and they're not American. <laughs> Based on the way they speak, they are German. Right. Well, I think they're... So their goal in this movie, from the bad person's standpoint, is mm-hmm. to liquidate Nakatomi Plaza of all of their uh, bearer bonds, which essentially is like rich people money that's untraceable. Yeah, I, I had to do a quick googs, but I knew that I had heard of bearer bonds because that happens in archer all the time they're always talking about bearer bonds in archer the television show yes um essentially the the benefit of a bearer bond is whoever physically owns it is the owner of that money so that kind of takes care of this idea of like well if they're going to steal this much money from this corporation like wouldn't it be very obvious that they stole that money from the nakatomi corporation but it wouldn't be obvious because also they intended to fake their own deaths that too but you, you know Oh, $600 million has been stolen. That's so interesting because $600 million is how much these people have recently come into. Which I, is like fixed... 1.5, almost $1.5 billion in today's Oh, shit. Money. Good for you for doing those conversions. <laughs> I do math. <laughs> I just, I it begs the question of why anyone would want to bear a bond in the first place. And that's completely besides the point. Yeah, that's a capitalist question and we don't know. I... I don't know. I We're would not never know. at liberty to discuss. 
I can't conceive of, of enough money to be the kind of person who would think about bonds. Yeah. So essentially this group of friendly Germans uh, is going to hijack <laughs> this tower during the Christmas party, take all the bonds and convince the FBI or whoever gets involved because that's part of the plan is the cops will show up convince them that they're terrorists and that they'll mm-hmm. they want like all these wild demands which are fake and mm-hmm. they know they're not actually going to get them mm-hmm. and then put all of the hostages on the roof and the fbi will kill everyone <laughs> and yeah. say that they... they stopped the evil people but sadly in the process they kill all the hostages too so the fbi are also the bad guys in this movie <laughs> I, yeah, there's a lot of bad guys in this film. Um, um, I suppose. The only <laughs> good guy in this movie... This movie is actually propaganda because it proposes that the only good people are cops and we all know that that's a lie. Well, the, it, it falls into... An, so, you you know I love cop media. And, um, I, I, I mean, I sort of... This is not... I don't have real political feelings about about cops or about a cab or anything like that. Um, I do know uh, law enforcement or uh, you know officers who are friends of mine, and I, et cetera, et cetera. Love hot fuzz. That's the really main <laughs> thing. It's not my loved ones. It's it's hot fuzz. Yeah, it's your um, media. But this definitely has that that problem that going back to Brooklyn Nine Nine has that I never understood until I you know read discourse about it where you're expected to believe that the main character who is a cop, uh, despite not following procedure and perhaps doing things that are illegal, which she, you know, certainly does, you have to trust that he has everyone's best interests in mind and he's the hero. And the only reason you are made to believe that is because he's the main character. There's no intrinsic idea that like, oh, I know John McClane he's a trustworthy dude, you know? No, all you know about him is that he was too much of a jerk to leave the town he lived in, even when his wife got a really fancy, high-paying job somewhere else and took the kids. That's all you know about this guy, but you're still expected to be like, oh, why won't anyone listen to John McClane? All the other cops and the FBI and everyone on the whole planet, like, why won't they listen to the one older white man who is a cop? (laughs) who we're supposed to believe and trust in implicitly. And again, like I mentioned, there's that problem with Jake Peralta as a character as well. Implicit and you don't really bias. think about it. It's, it's a little, it's, it's a little um, insidious because you don't think about it, right? Yeah. Implicit bias. Like, people want you to believe that we're naturally supposed to trust cops. But who or, is you know, we? Yeah. Who is we? White people. I mean, yes. So... There's, because there's a lot of that in this film, like every, and I don't know, I'm not personally a law enforcement officer or a cop or anything, I don't understand, but like over and over again, we're expected to accept that this one man knows better than everyone else in the film. And of course, spoiler alert, that's what ends up happening. Yes. He's right. He's right. And his one friend... The, the limo driver? Oh. His oh, other oh, no, friend. the other cop. The other cop. The other cop. Uh, <laughs> Carl Winslow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sergeant Al Powell is the only, who's like a, is he a, he's not a sergeant. What is he? He's a, uh, 
I don't. He is a sergeant. I they call him sergeant. He's like point. a beat cop though. Well, I kept calling him a beat cop, but theoretically he's not. He was a beat cop is someone who is working on the streets, and he's not, which he says in the film is because he murdered a thirteen year old boy. Oh which yes, I, it's a terrible thing to laugh at, but like, it was interesting because like that didn't. I, We've all been that, there. I that was just so sad. It was like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Like, oh, I was just trying to have fun with a stupid movie. And there you go with your murdering. Oh, like um, the Jack well, there's Frost a lot the of carrot rape. Yes, there's a lot of Why murder in this movie. There's a decent amount of murder in this movie. Yes, we're we're murdering <laughs> executives. We're murdering mm-hmm. terrorists. We're murdering mm-hmm. cops. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty much free reign here at Nakatomi Plaza. Only two hostages die throughout this film. So, <laughs> is that right? Yeah, it's the, the the boss, the boss, the the head of the corporation mm-hmm. who's killed at the very beginning. And the slide asshole. And the yeah, who has a really bad plan. Although at least he doesn't sell out the wife. Like that was good cuz I was Oh, I'm sure like, he wow. would have. <laughs> Give him time. I mean, I sh- sure. Uh no, those are the only two hostages who die. When oh. you think about it. Well, that's nice. Yeah, um, I mean it's a family film. It is a family Christmas movie, I will say. <laughs> uh, despite everything we've said um, mm-hmm. about the kind of overarching, problematic nature, uh, it's a great holiday <laughs> film for the whole family. Family. family is this family, R? Families. No, I'm sure it's PG, right? Uh, no, there's no way in hell. He says motherfucker <laughs> at one point. just kidding. It's oh, definitely okay. I rated I thought you were R. being serious. Um, okay, yeah. Right? No, it is. They, they yeah, curse a lot. Uh, there's a there's lot of There's a lot of gore. <laughs> it's rated R. Yeah. Um, this is interesting. So anyway, the plot. Oh right. Well, I guess what happens. We already said what happens. Yeah. Guess who gets out? And the very end. Who? John McClane. John McClane. And you know who the hero of this film is? John McClane. Argyle, the limo driver. Oh (laughs) yes. My favorite character in the whole thing. Yes. 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 Um, There are. As he stops one guy, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. He's the best. Um, he crashed, he, who, Theo, the other awesome terrorist character. He's like the computer hacker, Theo. Oh, yes. I actually really liked him. I mean, he was kind of funny on the radio. No, he was just like dancing and singing and doing his thing, cracking the code, stealing Mm -hmm. the money from the man. I like that Mm -hmm. character a lot. I liked it because he was an American. And that's what's oh, wow. important to me, the character. Yeah, <laughs> the other, the other, the other terrorists were German, and I was like, eh. And then when it was an American guy, I was like, I'm sure he has a good reason to have this money. Mm-hmm. He's an American. He's a that's brain. Yeah. He's not bronze. Bronze. <laughs> he gets uh, smashed in the face by Argyle. I will say. So. Oh, he does. He does. I recall it. I watched it happen. Argyle punches him in the face, knocks him out, makes him bleed. Where's all that money go? Okay, so that's a problem I have with the end of this film. We're really just... If you haven't seen Die Hard at this point, you're me. Uh, no, you're me, because you've already seen it. Oh, right, you're right. Okay, so, again, the thing with the bearer bonds, from my limited financial understanding, is that whoever is in possession of that certificate has the money that it is worth. So the fact that it's coming down like rain at the end of this film, and each one you show, because what's his name? Your guy at one point flips through them and you can see that each bond is worth $100,000 and they are falling like rain. 
And this is one of those things where I'm like, oh, just, you don't even, don't be, you don't have to be greedy. Just like, just a couple. Just, just yeah. pick a couple. You only need well, 10 you know to who's get a gonna, million. You know, none of the, Shove none of the, cl- none of the people who work for the cleaning department for that building are getting any of those. No. The money is literally is raining down on police at the end of this movie. Picture if, if you if, will. If you will. Just, and no one's grabbing for him. Well, Very unrealistic. A lot of cops they, took that money home. Let's I suspend our disbelief. We are in Die Hard. The cops took all the money. I, I, I don't know. I mean, John McClane at the end of this film is like, take me away, Argyle. Me and my, my wife, and we've reconciled, et cetera, et cetera, unimportant. What's important is he should have just just two seconds, Harrison. Just barabon, 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 shove it in the shirt. Stuff it in your mouth if you have to. Get the fuck out of there. Easy, two seconds of worth, Harrison, half a million dollars. Boom. Do you know what I would, okay, what my hope for the end of this movie is? Have you not seen the end of the movie? No, I mean like what I wish had oh, happened yes. at the end of this movie. What? Camera. Okay, so what does happen at the end of this movie you just described? Mm-hmm. John McClane mm-hmm. gets away. He's fine. After a series of insane uh, uh, scenarios in which he's falling down elevator shafts, climbing through air ducts, blasting himself off the side of the building, cutting yes. his feet open on glass and bleeding out to the point that he almost dies. I mean, there's a lot that we just kind of glazed over but what i my my hope is at the very end of this movie we get a pan in Mm -hmm. to the van and we see argyle awaken not argyle argyle is the limo driver oh we're talking about no sorry the american robber yes theo the my mistake theo yes theo we zoom into theo Mm -hmm. he awakens he hears mm-hmm. the sirens. Mm-hmm. He looks over. Mm-hmm. All of the money mm-hmm. is in a bag beside him. He mm. drives away mm-hmm. and lives happily ever after. Oh, you love him. That's my hope for the end of this movie. Oh. Because he's one of the only terrorists that survived. Mm-hmm. And he, he did he all is. the work. Let's be honest. He cracked the I mean, code. that drill did the work for him is what I understand. But he, did he design the drill? I don't know. We don't know. Did he? I don't Theo think Theo is the real hero of this movie. <laughs> okay. You're right. I mean, it's certainly... Deplete corporations of their money. <sighs> yes. Don't give it to cops. Mm-hmm. You'll live happily, happily ever after. Okay. I mean, you don't want Argyle to have that money? Because I do. Argyle, at the end of the day, cleans out his limo, and there's a couple bills laying there. Okay. Thank you. He's That's good, too. That's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. That's the ending this movie deserved. Uh-huh. Um, uh, the, the movie is, the end of the movie is almost unimportant for me, at least, because it didn't seem to be, that's not why the film is enjoyable. I mean, obviously it doesn't end with some weird downer where John Mc, uh, fuck a duck, John McClane is killed and everyone dies and everything sucks. Like that doesn't happen, but it's like, it's just a, it's an afterthought that there's a happy ending in my opinion, because that's not the point. The point is that it's, this is just a. Uh, to quote Hot Fuzz, uh, <laughs> no holds barred adrenaline fueled thrill ride um, of a film, you know. Uh, and once it's over, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, what's so interesting about this movie is um, it was kind of like commercially, it was successful, but it was like, at least from a critic standpoint, kind of like lauded. And has since been like reevaluated and is considered one of the greatest action movies. 
it was, you know, inducted um, into the, or not inducted, it was selected for preservation at the National Film Registry a few years ago. Like, this movie, for some reason, like, it was, sure, it was like a fun theater experience, but afterwards is really, like, just been taken, like, much more seriously, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, his, the director's, um, like, the way that he wrote and directed the movie is also really, you know, celebrated. Um, there's so, this, I think what's interesting for me about this movie, so much of what's interesting about this movie is mm-hmm. the development. Okay. Like how it was written. Which I then, know nothing about. So nothing. it was written and then rewritten because he didn't like the, the whoever the screenwriter was didn't like the original script. Um, what happened originally? Um, is it known or is it secret? secret? It's definitely known, but it, I mean, I don't really think it's important. Like it doesn't change enough for us to like focus on that, I don't think. But I, yeah. I mean... If someone wants to read it, they should. But I think it was originally designed to be uh, a little more comedy. Okay. Um, and the second or the rewrite was like a, a little more action and less comedy. Um, so I, I think the original script was written pretty fast and it just wasn't done very well. Um, okay. And I think in terms of the filming itself is really interesting, but I mean, especially considering all the stunts that were done, which is like a thing that I think nowadays it's really easy to take for granted. But, um, you know, we talked about, I don't know, I don't think we've reviewed it, but we've talked about that incident on the Twilight Zone movie. Do you remember that? Oh, I watched, um, I watched that docuseries about it, Cursed Films, where they talked about the helicopter incident. Yes, yeah. That's what you mean? Yeah. yeah. So, John um, Landis? Yes. So, mm-hmm. that happened right before this was shot. And so, they and were... And they have a... Hel- there's a helicopter crashing in this film, yeah. so... So, yeah. a lot... That had, a, a, like, lingering effects on this movie, and they didn't want Willis to do his own stunts but he insisted Mm -hmm. which is also just a testament to this movie i think um he sure the people who made it cared about it yeah and um after the helicopter incident for twilight zone obviously there was a priority to make the the film crew more important than the film which it's sad that that even wasn't an option to begin with but And, and that is a really fucked up story if you if you learn about it um i can't i don't know I'm surprised that John Landis went on to continue having a career because that whole situation was really fucked up. I mean, two kids died. Yeah. Two kids and a lot of people died. died. Yeah, I'm. It's fucked up. It's a fucked up story. Um, yeah. If it's you really have some up. time, just some time this January, and you want to just feel upset, <laughs> go read about it. Um, but yeah, so Bruce Willis did like. Okay, so first of all, I think it's really fascinating that Willis was not originally going to be the main character. And oh, it wasn't was until, it? Um, oh, they pegged, like, all the normal people, you would assume. Um, like Tom Cruise? Um, I don't know. I know it was, like, Sylvester Stallone, 
okay, Clint yeah. Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, okay. like all those, those are people. All essentially Arnold Schwarzenegger. The same yeah, 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 yeah. Like the same yeah, action yeah. people. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. And got it, got it. so Bruce Willis was doing comedy up until this point, really. He was doing like sitcoms with um, like Sybil Shepherd. He was doing Moonlighting. I don't know if you remember that show. I'm sure you've heard of it. But Sybil. I'm Sybil, struggling to, to think of what I know Bruce Willis for. Other than fucking uh, I See Dead People. That's what I know him for. Yeah, that was after this. Um, yes. By quite some time. Uh, but yeah, so he was... Um, he was on Moonlighting. And he was a detective. Sybil went on to do the show just called Sybil, which I, Carly and I really like that show and my mom used to watch that show when i was growing up so i have a like a soft spot in my heart for that sybil's a comedian and no idea what you're talking former about. model and actress um it's kind of the sitcom is about her life as an actress then like it's really funny uh, i think it might be on hulu but um anyway long story short bruce willis was playing a cop on that show mm-hmm. um and he got a break from that show moonlighting because she was pregnant. And so he had the opportunity to do this movie. So he filmed it during the break. Um, he, he had only been in one other movie called blind date. Um, oh. and so he, the, how did the he get choice was really, it was controversial. Okay. Um, for him to be cast and he wasn't, right. he wasn't the producer's first choice and he declined the role until, Sybil, they realized she was pregnant, and then... And he was like, oh, I can't do do that other thing I do anyway. I might as well do Die Hard. Yeah, and then, I mean, it literally changed his career. I mean, the trajectory of his career, which is so fascinating to me. So... That is pretty cool. He went on to do a lot of his own stunts in the movie, and, um, as I was saying, and one of them, um, the... He was... I'm trying to remember what scene it was. Um... He shoots a terrorist through a table. Yes. And that he does suffered happen. permanent two thirds hearing loss in his left ear because the cartridges were so close to his head. Like Bruce Willis did? Yeah. That is kind of funny because literally when that happened, Michael was like, there's, I keep bringing up Archer, but there's a joke in Archer where they're always suffering hearing loss because of shooting guns too close to their ears and they go, mop, mop, mop. Yeah. To try and, you know, um, pop their ears and as soon as that happened michael was like whop and there you go and he actually uh oops yeah <laughs> he actually hurt his ears yeah <laughs> um it's also so the first scene they shot was him leaping from the top of the nakatomi plaza with a fire hose i mean that was scary that That's was a scary stunt Why right would, yeah no. so it involved a 25 foot leap from a five-story parking garage ledge onto an airbag as a sixty Hell foot, no. as a sixty <laughs> foot wall of flame exploded behind him. Hell no. Um, no, thank you. The, the explosive force pushed him towards the edge of the airbag, airbag, and the crew thought that he had died. Shit. Uh. <laughs> so they did not learn very much from John Landis. There you go. No. Um. Yeah, I mean, so much of so much of what's interesting about this movie is the stunts. Um, one of the other 
things that's really interesting is when um, they had to use a sp like a special frame rate and different lenses to capture Rickman, Alan Rickman falling in the end scene because he's falling on a blue screen behind him on a on a bag, but he actually does fall thirty. Mm -hmm. 32 that, feet that, per second apparently they did that they did that well it didn't i mean you know it's a green screen or a blue screen or whatever but it doesn't look it doesn't take you out of it like god damn that was really terrible blue screening you know for a film from the late 80s so that was impressive yeah alan rickman's so cool may he rest in peace yes um also interesting is when this there's a swat team scene where the car drives up on the plaza um, mm -hmm. so that's apparently Fox Plaza is where this movie with exterior was, were shot. Um, and it took months of negotiation before they were even allowed to drive that car up there and they knocked one of the railings off and it was never replaced. Um, and the, the final helicopter scene that we were talking about earlier took six uh -huh. months of preparation and only two hours were set aside to film it. Which that's in movie talk is like kind of ludicrous. Well, and again, it shows they learned nothing from the John Landis incident because that's kind of what happened with them there. They were like, "It's too late at goddamn night. We can't shoot this. Like, get the principal actors out of the shot. We need whatever." And it was like, "No, we have to have a deadline." Boom, accident, fatalities, terrible tragedy. So they learned nothing from the Twilight Zone, Harrison. Right. Nothing. Also. When going back to when Gruber falls, um, he was dropped between twenty and seventy feet, and reports are inconsistent, so they don't know how far he Does, fell. Did Alan Rickman not remember? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, but I know also um, he was told that he was going to drop on three, and they let go at like one and a half, and so mm -hmm. the genuine look of shock is real when he falls at the end of the movie. Yeah, okay, um, well, yeah, I mean, I would look like that, too, no matter how ready I was. <laughs> right. Uh, there's also a part that I thought, thought was really interesting when um, the when Bruce Willis's character is trying to get down into the air shaft. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The one where he stops the blade? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the... Or the fan blade, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he actually missed the the stunt performer missed and fell farther than they were supposed to and caught the second hole in so the wait, air conditioning. <laughs> like I noticed that when it happened, he he like tries to reach for it and then he falls and misses it and goes down to the next air conditioning. Oh, duct. that's not with the fan blade. That's I see what you're saying. I remember that the one where he's got his gun holding him up his and he's yes. holding the gun strap so that wasn't bruce willis that was a stunt performer? that was the that was the stunt performer yeah oh okay um i that they well they did a good job of editing it because it's certainly i mean it looks like the character didn't didn't mean to go for it but it looked like it was supposed to be scripted that way like it doesn't come off as like i hope someone got fired for that blunder <laughs> right also uh in the scene where he throws the c4 down the elevator shaft and like you know the whole level basically yeah, explodes. I didn't quite understand that. What was um, he... well anyway, continue. Tell me tell me the, the trivia, but I, the... I didn't quite understand that scene. So they were like assaulting all of the um people that they had kidnapped, right? All the hostages. And so he throws the C four down the elevator shaft as an explosion to make them stop. Cause he said Alan Rickman says he's gonna start killing all of them. Remember? 
and then he drops yeah. the C four and blows that level of it well, to I'm stop just the assault. And in that in he... that scene, they didn't know what was going to happen <laughs> until they did the stunt. Like all the windows, you know, blow out of the, that floor of the building. They had no idea that huh. was going to happen. I mean, this movie oh, well, was really just, just like trial and error. <laughs> I'm amazed that I didn't watch um, an episode of, of Curse Production on this film. Yeah. Um, I didn't quite understand how blowing up a whole floor solved John McClure's, John McClane's problems at that point in the film. I didn't quite understand that, but I was like, sure, you have a bunch of C4, go for it. Yeah. I'm supposed to trust everything you do. Again, harking back to what I was saying earlier. Right. So go ahead. Yeah. Wow. Excellence. Pure excellence. <laughs> Pure excellence, John McClane-Glur. Um, also oh, the director... Oh, I think McClure from The Simpsons. That's why I keep saying McClure. God damn it. Uh, um, there's like four sequels, right? So there's five movies total. Yes, and I read a brief synopsis of all of them. I think the last one was like perceived to be pretty terrible. Um, I also think... Or I know that this director was arrested <laughs> for The director perjury, of this first one? I think. Yeah. So part of... So he... His last movie was like in 2003 or something. And he mm. had wiretapped his producer to get information. And they... He was in federal prison for a year for it. And he had to liquidate all of his assets because he went bankrupt apparently. Um, learned a lot. <laughs> the more you know. So much backstory. Yeah. So much backstory. Um, yeah, so here we go. It's considered one of the greatest action films ever made, and I had never seen it. It was massively influential on filmmaking. It redefined oh, geez, the action hey, why genre. Didn't we watch, why weren't we shown it in film school? What the hell? Yeah. Um, I also think, yeah, Rickman's portrayal of Gruber redefined action villains who had previously been bland figures or eccentric madmen. I mean, there's just so many notable He's... things about the movie. Sure, I mean, he's a little bit of an eccentric man. Not really, though, actually, because in the end, he is just a thief. He's, you think there's there's some toying with this idea that he's a part of some sort of separatist group in, in, in uh, mm -hmm. Germany, and then his fake, well, his demands to the FBI, which, you know, turn out to be not something he actually cares about, or are about these separatist groups in, like, Wales and Ireland and Singapore, and he's like, let them go, and then you think maybe there's some sort of, because he's so obsessed with the FBI getting there, but then you realize that he's only obsessed with the FBI getting there because he knows, because he's studied their procedures, that they will turn off central power and they need that to finish opening the vault. Yes. That's the only reason he wants the FBI there, not because he has his sights on some sort of a federal incident. He just knows the FBI will cut the power so that he can get a billion and a half dollars. I mean... Because Michael kept saying that at the beginning, too. He was like, I don't remember the, this guy's motivation. And I was like, I feel like it's all that money. I mean, why would you need any more motivation? Yes. That's a lot of money in untraceable, unregistered, like, whoever has the piece of paper owns the money bills. Like, that's just, I mean, come on. There's the motivation. There's the motivation. There's the motivation. So... No, I bought that from the beginning. I didn't need to know. I didn't. I didn't need all this. These these weird red herrings about being terrorists because they're you not. You know, they're it just, happened so. Robbers. It happened so quickly, though. I mean, it was a little confusing. Like I had to kind of. When there's a lot of like. 
plot details that happen really quickly in a film and a lot of like very quick exposition and it has to do with like things that are kind of over my head I'm like I just I'm like okay sure whatever they said (laughs) but for this I was like no I kind of like I need to understand what was what was going on and so I was like so they weren't terrorists but they kept talking about terrorism and then I was like oh right okay so like they're not as smart as they're leading on like not even as smart they're not as they're just bank robbers essentially they're just just bank robbers hiding behind they're not robbing a bank they're robbing a corporation yeah um bravo a victimless crime (laughs) yes as we see laid before us it was a victimless crime yes um yeah i also think it's interesting like the one thing i'll say about the rewriting because i was thinking about it is they the main thing is that they the person who rewrite it um basically tried to tell the story from if he viewed gruber as the protagonist and I think okay. that's, like, worth noting because it's basically saying, like, I, I think one of the reasons this movie is so successful is because of how it pans out. And because, like, I think that you more or less root for um, Bruce Willis. But I think that, like... The villains to are me very it was, interesting. The villains are very interesting. And to me, it's very clear that, like, there's a little bit of a gray area. You know what I mean? Uh, really as to whether explore. or not, like, you're supposed to like Bruce Willis or I, yeah. Alan Rickman. I think it's pretty clever. Like, at one point, Alan Rickman goes upstairs and pretends to be an escaped hostage. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Willis gives him a gun and is like, we gotta fight these people off. And then Alan Rickman, like, makes the attempt to kill him. But and then the he's gun like, is I empty. gave you... Yeah, he's like, I gave, what do you think, I'm stupid? I gave you an empty gun. And it's like, so you knew he was Hans Gruber this whole time? Or you just wouldn't give anyone other than you a gun with bullets in it? Yeah. I don't know. But I, I think it was just really clever. I, I could I could tell that it wasn't, I don't know, it seemed like it was well thought out. And I think that that's a benefit of the rewrite. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I'm ready for my review. I don't know if you are, but I am. Go for it. So, I the, the premise of this film, as I... Oh, Lulu. We have a special guest on the show. It is Lulu. Can you hear her purring? No, put her closer to the microphone. Tell her that Auntie Kayla loves her, and then maybe she'll purr harder. Oh, well, it's too hard to pick up. <gasps> I, I, a little bit, I heard it at the end. That was exciting for me. Thank you. I love you, Lou. Oh. <laughs> She's off um, <laughs> to blow up a building. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was a little bothered by this idea that the whole plot of the film was based on this idea that John McClane's wife had the audacity to be a woman in the workplace in the late 80s. Mm. Um, not just a woman in the workplace, but a woman who has a very high-paying, high-power job at a place where they just keep a billion and a half dollars in bear bonds in the basement. That's the kind of corporation we're talking about, right? And she's yes. second in command there. And they, you know, it starts out with with um with Bruce Willis having to fly in from New York because he's a cop and he's like I have a backlog of scumbags going back 6 months and it's like, "Okay, so like you're a crappy cop and you have to stay in New York because that's more important than your wife who's probably making a trillion billion dollars and who has your kids 
in California. And, like, there's all this stuff at the beginning where, like, someone kisses him on the cheek as in greeting, and he's like, oh, California. And, like, he sees a woman wearing leggings as pants, and he's like, oh, California. Like, you know, yeah. it's like, okay, John McClane. And, like, I, I, he is still charming. Like, I'm not some piece of stone who is, you know... I understand why this is a classic film. I understand why they do all those things because he's this charming cowboy guy. And I get, it's like just the smallest, idiot bit subversive. Like he, that point where, you know, he's like, no, I liked Roy Rogers because he, he wore sequin shirts and like yippee ki motherfucker. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I, like I get it. I get why he's cool. But it doesn't stop the fact that the, the, the whole, the backbone of this film is this divorced couple or this separated couple who were only separated because, and he even says it himself at some point in the film. He's like, tell her I'm sorry. I should have supported her at all when she got this amazing promotion at her job. And there's like that thing where it's like, oh, my fancy boss got me this fancy watch. And of course, at the end of the film, Alan Rickman is, is, is trying to pull her out of a 50 story window and he's only holding on by her watch. And like, she's like, Oh, help me husband. And the husband unclips the watch and then the watch and Alan Rickman go falling to their deaths. Okay. Yes. Like it's all a bit heavy handed for me. And I will say that I was happy to see that the second film in fall, cause I kept wanting him to be like, it was bullshit that I wanted to stay in New York, even though it makes absolutely no sense. Cause I can be a cop anywhere Okay, um, and you're obviously pulling down so much money. Why wouldn't we all go to Los Angeles together other than me being a stubborn jerk, right? And he never says that, but Die Hard 2. Oh, no spoilers. That's what's, oh, well, I guess, sorry. It's the beginning of Die Hard 2. Okay. At the beginning of Die Hard 2, it's, it's, it's set up that he moved to Los Angeles and become an, became an LAPD police officer. Mm. And you, I have to assume, I haven't watched the film, that his wife continues to be a boss bitch who's earning the real money. And he was relocated despite well, and he made the absolute I would assume, chaos that he caused uh, as a police officer off sure, the sure. record. But that doesn't matter. In, haven't you watched an American cop film? That doesn't matter, Harrison. It's my favorite genre. I, it doesn't before, matter. Before you say anything else. I want to point out a website called anotherangrywoman.com. Oh, there what is, is an, this? There is an analysis of this movie called Making Fists With Your Toes Towards a Feminist Analysis of Die Hard. Whoa, what? And it's really good, and I recommend you read it, but I just want to read an excerpt really quickly. Oh, please do. That sounds um, like the exact thing that I would want to have read before this and didn't, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to make it quick, so bear with me. Okay, no, please do. Throughout Die Hard, feminine problem-solving tactics are shown to be demonstrably demonstrably more successful than the more masculine approaches. In cinema and in society, masculine problem-solving is constructed as very direct and action-oriented, sometimes deploying physical aggression. In contrast, the feminine technique involves communication, negotiation, is less direct, and typically nonviolent. From the moment a hostage situation begins while John is on the toilet, he embarks on his journey towards femininity. As John realizes that something terrible is occurring, he makes a very smart choice to run the fuck away, observe what is happening, and seek help. He okay. even tells himself that this was the right approach and that to have gone for the more manly option of killing or of running in and inter- intervening, he would have gotten himself and others killed. And he's right. 
John's instinct to seek help from those in a position of help is a sound one, and yet, in an experience familiar to any woman, he is repeatedly not taken seriously. His first attempt with the fire alarm is ignored, and his initial attempt at contacting the police is completely dismissed. And yet he does not give up, he simply escalates to something which men tend to call, quote, attention-seeking, which is usually motivated by frustration at not being heard. It is only by acting out of frustration that he finally manages to communicate the seriousness of the situation. John's own form of attention-seeking is dropping a body on a cop car, but hey, it fucking well works. <laughs> better than yelling, that is or, a, better than that's yelling a very... or crying. <laughs> so next time men aren't listening and I'm getting irked, I'll remember that trick. Later, <laughs> later on, John learns to communicate better, moving from brusque uh, police telegraphing to conversing, rap, uh, rapport building, and yet still always supplying vital, actionable information. Ultimately, he is still not taken seriously. This is because most of the men in this film are absolute worthless pieces of toxically masculine shit. <laughs> and that's the introduction to the article. So That's amazing. I would love to read what she has to say about uh, Holly Gennaro and the, the whole idea of John McLean being so upset at the concept of this, 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 this woman. Yes. Even suggesting that he leave his important job so that she can, again, earn a million billion dollars halfway across the country. And by halfway, I mean fully. I would be fully. very interested. But that's a very interesting perspective. I hadn't thought about that. I, I mean, she's right. He doesn't go in guns blazing. But it's so interesting because, like, if I were to tell someone a couple months from now, like, what's the premise of this film? I'd be like, he goes in guns blazing. I don't fucking know. It's yeah. die hard. <laughs> it does feel, yeah, it does feel that way. But I think... I, I'm glad I found that article. I just sent it to you. I'll we'll share it on our um, however we can on our social media. Um, Excellent. That all two of you check. Yes. Um, Elita. And. And I don't. Michael. Yeah, it's worth a read. But I think that <laughs> I think that sometimes this is a good example of why I have to sit with a movie sometimes because okay. my initial gut reaction is always. It's not always how I feel a couple days later, and Carly can attest to this. And sometimes it makes her very upset because <laughs> initially I'll, as soon as the movie's over, I'll be like, Oh yeah, that was great. And then three days later I'll be like, God, I fucking hated that movie. And that's just, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just, uh, it takes me a while to wrap my head around things. So I'm really grateful for resources like that because I think they can help give me like some perspective because I, I would have done the same thing. I would have been like, this movie is just all about macho shit. And I think it's hard it is a hard argument to say that it isn't just simply because of the, it's a male dominated industry and mm -hmm. you know, how many women had crucial parts to do with the production of this film? I'm sure very few. Um, but I think that, I think it's an interesting perspective. Um, yeah, it, that's a very interesting perspective. So yeah. What is your rating? Okay. So my rating is three out of six, three out of six, six, three six. out of six. Are a nice middle ground, um, a nice middle ground. It's obvious, like you mentioned, it's obviously a part of, of, of the film lexicon. I do enjoy action movies, so this is sort of like an important um, one of them. Uh, but I will tell you that after I watched Die Hard this most recent time, and I then went back and rewatched all the Brooklyn Nine-Nine episodes that are heavily influenced by Die Hard, I, I much more enjoyed the latter. So it, I don't know that I really like Die Hard as a film. You just needed just, that context for the it, Yes, rest. to be a part of the zeitgeist, right? Yes. Um, you know, it, it's it's perfectly enjoyable to watch. 
Uh, Alan Rickman is dope. Why is he so attractive? No one knows. Like, God, he's the most, I mean. Even his voice. Even in Galaxy Quest, Alan Rickman is like, with that weird thing on his head, I'm still like, "Mm, Alan Rickman. Oh, wait, I wasn't going to say Galaxy Quest. Sorry, I was thinking of um, (laughs) when he's the voice of the robot in Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh, I had forgotten about that. I thought you were going to say Snape, and I was going to say, how dare you suggest. Oh, no, I forgot he was I'm in I'm attracted role. to Snape. Oh, yeah, me too. I did too as well. Um, no, I didn't. I only, um, the only movie I think about when I think of Alan Rickman is um, his voice from Hitchhiker's oh, Guide to the Galaxy. I do typically think of him as the weird clam shellfish alien in Galaxy Quest. Or, I mean, I guess he's not really the alien. The guy who plays the weird clam shell shellfish alien i don't know that i've seen galaxy quest oh my god that might be our next film because i do recommend i know that i'm a star trek person and you're not so maybe oh no i like star trek oh well then there you go and sigourney weaver's in it yes i love sigourney weaver (laughs) it's great let me let me introduce you to this film that we're gonna watch next um but yeah so anyway die hard it's fine I appreciate more what it what it's done for general pop culture than than anything being insulated into the film itself. There we go. So three out of six. Fifty percent. Three out of six, six, six. Um yeah. I'm gonna give this movie Go ahead. Five out of six. Ooh, okay, tell me why I was thinking about four out of six, but I think mm-hmm. that it's a lot more than you were angry at me. And then I was angry at you. Um, never. <laughs> I could never be angry at you. Um, oh, friendship. Friendship. I I really enjoyed this movie. I didn't think I was going to, and I think that's why I was so pleasantly surprised. Okay. It was just so fun. I already want to watch it again, and it wasn't even that long ago. Oh, you're so cute. Um, I just think that it was... It was, like... It's not a perfect movie for all of the reasons that we've described, but I think that... Some things that I really liked about it, I really liked the cinematography, like the slow opening and the super weird, like almost 80s, like plastic feeling filter at the beginning. Over, Like the sun is setting for like 45 minutes at the beginning of this movie. I'm not sure if you noticed <laughs> it that. Did. No, I did notice that. I didn't and really think about it, but I noticed it. I was just like, that's so interesting. Like I, because, okay, before I watched this, I didn't know what it was about. Like I knew... I knew there was a bunch of explosions. I assumed that I, I literally had no concept of what this movie was about. Um, okay. Except that's for, always the best way to go into a movie. Yeah. Except for the fact that he was the hero and that it had way too much text on the poster of the movie. So um, <laughs> I was really pleasantly surprised with how the color palette worked the whole movie. I thought it was like all the set design was so gorgeous um it's a cool set yeah it's a really cool set all of the action and all of the stuff that i described behind the scenes though sometimes extremely problematic amplified like the movie for me because it often Mm -hmm. all that shit often does um and so yeah i was just like super stoked it was a really fun watch i would watch it this is one of the movies that i was talking about a few episodes ago where it's like i could leave this on in the background and do whatever I needed to do for days at a time and just enjoy whatever I managed to catch while I was walking by or whatever, you know? I hear that. Um, and I think to get back to cine- like its cinematic sort of place, I think also, as I've said, it kind of cemented itself as 
an earmark for this genre of film and really changing kind of how villains are perceived, even in the way that it was written, I find interesting mm-hmm. in the rewrite and everything about it. And the fact that he was essentially like a no one in terms mm-hmm. of film, like he was a TV actor, which, you know, there's a whole thing about whether or not that's like a level of fame or success or accolade that you would reach for as an actor or whether or not you would go on to do cinema. You know what I mean? Um, Uh I find all that really fascinating. And so for all those reasons, I enjoyed Die Hard. I don't know that I'm going to watch the sequels, honestly. (laughs) That might be one of those things where it might, like if you, uh, to enjoy an action movie for what it is, especially since I don't know if you want me to tell you the premise of the other films, but does it get, yeah, I don't know if I do. Maybe I will watch them. Okay. I just, I, I, I do see the potential in the sequels to ex- be exhausting in a certain way. Yeah. Sort of like what I was saying however many weeks ago to, I guess, one? What year is this? Where am I? <laughs> 2021. Um, well, we were talking about Home Alone. Um, oh, yes. Back in 2020. For, for, yes. That horrible year. So glad it's gone. Um, uh, when I was saying that the, the way that Home Alone 2 what it almost ruined home alone one for me i do wonder if the sequels to die hard would do that for you so i would say watch with caution i haven't watched them i just read about them watch with caution that would be my yeah i'll probably read about them i don't i don't think it'll affect my enjoyment of this movie but maybe maybe it might uh, the second one is at Dulles uh, Airport, an airport I've never been to because it's really far away from us here. So Chile. far away. What state is that even in? I don't recognize the uh, name. At Maryland, maybe. Who knows? Oh, Maryland. I thought it was Maryland. It's Maryland? Oh, it's pronounced actually Mary Mother of Godland. Oh, right. <laughs> you ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> it's 2021 now. We can't be throwing insults like that. What? Like ignorant? No, like mispronouncing Maryland. <laughs> It's Maryland, yes, everyone. Maryland. Maryland. That's what Maryland gets. Mary, that mother state, of Godland. I've never been to it. Hail Satan, <laughs> 2021. <laughs> May he bless our harvest. <laughs> we wish all of you a very happy, healthy, mm-hmm. safe, mm-hmm. successful 2021. Wear your mask until hopefully Further we're all notice. vaccinated, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Bye, everyone.